0: Well, good evening. Welcome back, church, as we study together in our Sunday night session. Uh, Sunday night was important when we were gathering. It's still important. Nice to come and center our thoughts around a new series that we're going to start tonight, Repentance. Knowing, desiring it is good, and uh, knowing how is even better. So that's what I want to look at tonight. The kind of changes that truly repentant people make. There's just one big idea tonight. What I want to do is just sort of uh, paint the background of what I want to study tonight. And then next week we'll be in the same passage next Sunday night. And there'll be specific points, maybe three or four points. Tonight, I don't have three or four points. I have one big idea that I want to kind of paint. It's tricky when you go into the Gospels. We're going to be in Luke chapter 3. I'm going to read verses 3 to 14. And... and. uh For Cedar viewers, I've I've introduced this concept before, but it's tricky to look at things like repentance when you're looking at it before the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We're used to calling people to repent in terms of the gospel, but John the Baptist is here. Jesus hasn't yet died, he hasn't yet risen, he hasn't yet ascended to the Father. So you're in a transition stage between the old covenant when the new hasn't fully arrived yet. You don't have the gospel fulfilled in its deepest sense. And so what we're really looking at when we look at repentance here is how how people get ready for kingdom life. The kind of changes truly repentant people make luke 3 verse 3 and he went into all the region round the jordan proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins as it is written in the book of the words of isaiah the prophet quote the voice of one crying in the wilderness Prepare the way of the Lord. That's what John the Baptist is doing. Preparing the way of the Lord. Getting ready for the coming of the Lord. Make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled. Every mountain and hill shall be made low. The crooked shall become straight. The rough places shall become level ways. And all flesh shall see the salvation of God. So John quotes Isaiah. He's predicting something that's still in the future. Shall see. It's going to come. Verse 7, he said therefore to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers. It's not very good, PR, is it? Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? There's, There's grace coming in Jesus, and there's judgment coming in Jesus. Eight, and this is what we want to look at. Bear fruits in keeping with repentance. Bear fruits. We're going to look at the fruits, mostly next Sunday night. Bear fruits in keeping with repentance and do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. So with the coming of God's salvation, Jesus is coming soon. He's going to die for their sins. The nature of repentance is going to be deeper it's going to be a heart thing. Don't just think you can go back to Abraham and the keeping of your temple regulations. The repentance has to be deeper than that. So John, he's, he's in this tension between the, the, the old covenant and the new. And he's saying, you've got to get ready for the new covenant. For I tell you, eight, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now, the ax is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit, okay? He said, bear fruits in keeping with repentance. Now he says, every tree that does not bear fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Ten, and the crowds asked him, well, what then shall we do? That's the question. And he answered them, whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none. Whoever has food is to do likewise. Tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than you are authorized to do. Soldiers also asked him, And what shall we do? He doesn't say you got to leave the army. And he said to them, Do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusation. And be content with your wages. Repentance. Picture Picture a couple scenes with me that I think are close to where some of our our minds go when we think about repentance and they're inadequate concepts, but I think they're very common. Imagine a man on a street corner, maybe somewhere in the seedy side of the Bronx in New York. He looks a little scruffy. Uh, He wears a sandwich sign over his back and chest with the words, repent, the end is near. And mostly people just give him a wide berth. They wonder if he's got it all together, wishing maybe he'd take a shower and clean up. Nobody takes him all that seriously. Now imagine maybe a camp meeting, a small camp meeting somewhere in Southern Mississippi or Alabama, it's night, the air is hot and humid. The floor is strewn with shavings and sawdust and people sway back and forth as they sing very intense music hand-painted sign maybe the spelling isn't even right outside the little meeting that says revival meetings nightly and inside there's a minister he wipes his head with his big hanky and he tells the unsaved they need to repent of their sins because jesus is coming soon we can picture those scenes now, as much as we might differ culturally from some of those pictures that I just painted, the truth is, whether we're used to it anymore or not, both contain a message of truth. I mean, sinners do need to repent. That message, the packaging of it might change a bit, but it's really never changed. The call to the lost to repent of their sins Come to Jesus Christ. It stands for all people everywhere, all cultures, all nations, for all time. So, so we never do get so sophisticated that we don't need to repent and come to Jesus Christ as our Savior. So I'm not knocking those two scenes. Both of them contain a message of truth But what I want to submit to you is both of them convey a terrible error as well. The error isn't what they say. The error is in what they leave out. Because both those pictures, they lead to the false idea that repentance is for bad people. Repentance is for people who are unsaved. And it is, but it's more. So at the very least, those pictures, they convey the idea that repentance is for people who are unsaved, terribly backslidden, need to come back to the cross. And I said there was a a big picture that I want to kind of paint tonight as a backdrop. Here it is. All of that sets the stage for the main point of tonight and for the rest of this little series. I want to say, repentance is not just for unsaved people, and repentance is not just for backslidden people, and repentance is not just for bad people. Repentance is for me, every day of my Christian life, and repentance is for you. In fact, I would argue, I would argue that almost nothing is more uh, deadening, more deadening, to your ongoing spiritual life, then then the careless cultivation, it just kind of sneaks up on you. The careless cultivation of the idea that repentance is something to do when you get saved or when you really mess up and are in a jam. There. That's what repentance is for. And what I want to say is repentance is not... Repentance is not an evangelical way of just getting out of a spiritual jam. More than that, people like me, people like you, we wouldn't find ourselves in so many crisis spiritual situations if we didn't leave the practice of ongoing repentance on the shelf somewhere in our Christian life until we really mess up. Repentance, I think biblically, should be thought of as as two things. A, repentance is a radical recognition of the true nature of the human will. In other words, repentance... If I'm going to be a repentant person with a repentant lifestyle, it stems from recognizing the true nature of what's going on inside my will that it's fallen, that it tends to drift, that it tends to do so gradually, and that repentance is not just a matter of actions. Repentance is a matter of recognizing my nature, not just my deeds. My nature. So a radical recognition of the true nature of the human will that lies in Don Horbin. That's the first thing that repentance requires. Secondly, B, repentance is a continual reshaping of the mind and life as it yields to the Holy Spirit. A continual reshaping of the mind and life as it yields to the Holy Spirit. Now, Both of those key ideas aren't just pulled out of thin air. I mean, I think they're actually rooted in the meaning of the word repentance itself. Luke uses the noun form of the word in verse 8. And you've probably heard this before, but the Greek word for repentance is metanoia. So meta, after, and noeo, which is to perceive with the mind. So this is what repentance is. It describes repentance perfectly. Repentance is What you do after you perceive what the Holy Spirit is speaking to your mind. What you do after you perceive what the Holy Spirit is speaking to your mind. Now, for the New Testament Christian, repentance is truth perceived in the mind, in the full light, of course, of God's grace revealed in the cross and resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is worlds different from just moral improvement. While I won't take the time to repeat that reminder every time I talk about repentance, that's the foundation I'm assuming every time we look at the kind of changes repentant people make. So John the Baptist doesn't put all that into words because Jesus hasn't died. He hasn't died on the cross, risen from the dead. So he's in this transition between what Isaiah promised, what Jesus is going to bring, but this is what the full-orbed teaching of repentance in the New Testament entails. Repentance is what you do once you perceive with your mind, your understanding, some fresh point of input from the Holy Spirit upon your life. It's, It's what you do when some point of Fresh correction is made clear with what you do with some action, some point of obedience when it's pointed out. So repentance is how we respond to these even frequent sins of omission, where the Holy Spirit wants to lead us in a certain direction. So there's a sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. Sensitivity. It's not just a legal cleaning up of the life. It's it's a heart process. It's a sensitivity to the spirit, to, to the kind of cleansing and the ongoing sanctifying work that we now understand. John couldn't see it as fully then through the cross of Jesus Christ. So repentance is tied to, here's what I'm saying. Repentance is tied to the formation of a new creation. And that's worlds apart from, well, repent and get saved repent and quit your backsliding. This is repentance as a tool of the Holy Spirit, an ongoing tool of the Holy Spirit in the forming of a new creation. You can't have the new creation, Don Horbin, it's still in process now. I can't have it without ongoing repentance. It's a key part of my spiritual development. The action I take upon hearing God's voice. Repentance has its roots in you hear, you perceive, you sense God speak. Repentance has its roots in what you then do. That's what the people ask John in Luke's account in that 10th verse. What must we do? So, so they know from John's message that they need to do something. John isn't just calling them to memorize Bible verses. John isn't telling them they just need to get more involved in temple regulations. No, no, don't even, don't even think to say you have Abraham as your father. Don't go there. The repentance I'm looking for isn't just like that. To, 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 to their credit, these people, they seemed immediately incomplete, maybe as the picture was, but they, they, they sensed they had to act. They had to make some changes at a deeper level than they had been making them. But the point here is, this attitude isn't just related to the unsaved. Yes, it applies to those who come to Christ for salvation, but it doesn't just apply to them. That's, that's like the gateway. Baptism Baptism is, is uh, the inaugural act of repentance. That's what baptism is. Not the final act. It's the inaugural act of repentance. Christians live in repentance the way a fish lives in water. Regeneration, getting saved is related to repentance the way the front doors of this sanctuary used to relate to the rest of the building. So regeneration utters ushers believers into a lifestyle of ongoing repentance. Growth in the kingdom Always follows the path of repentance. It's not just entrance into the kingdom. Notice the way I said that. Growth in the kingdom always follows the path of repentance. Not just entrance into the kingdom. My growth in the kingdom. I think the New Testament makes that distinction. Let, let me just outline a couple verses. Look at Acts eleven eighteen. When they heard these things, they fell silent They glorified God, saying, then to the Gentiles also, God has granted repentance that leads to life. I'll talk about that verse in a minute. I want to compare it with another verse where repentance is mentioned. It's in 2 Corinthians 7, 9 and 10. And Paul writes to the church at Corinth and says, as it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. For you felt a godly grief, so that you suffered no loss through us. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. Whereas worldly grief produces death. So Acts 11, Peter speaks. He praises God that the Gentiles, that's the pagans, they're coming to Christ. They are experiencing... Experiencing, the text says, repentance that leads to life. They were dead in trespasses and sins. They were coming to life in Christ, and they were coming into that life, Peter says, through repentance. Repentance that leads to life. Then in 2 Corinthians 7, Paul is the speaker, and he describes the experience of Christians in the church who responded Positively to his letter of rebuke and correction. And he says they experienced repentance unto salvation. I think that's an important distinction. When I was saved, I was brought by God's grace out of death into life. So I experienced repentance unto life. What I'm living in now as God's child, is my salvation. It's unfolding every day. My salvation isn't just the day when I gave my heart to Jesus in Prince George, British Columbia in 1962. That's when I was born again. What I am living in right now is my salvation. My salvation is still unfolding day by day as I walk with the Lord. And so Paul writes to these Christians in the church at Corinth, He rejoices over them because they responded so humbly, so openly, so repentantly to the Spirit's correcting work in the heart. They repented from carelessness. And so their repentance kept them from falling backwards spiritually. Their repentance led to salvation. Repentance unto salvation. So in other words, they were moving further and further, deeper into their walk with Jesus, deeper into their salvation. They were pressing forward. They were pressing deeper into the life of the kingdom. But, but this advance wasn't an accident. It was directly related to their repentance, their godly repentance. So, so that's the whole point of this first message in this series. I want to say the only repentance that counts, how can I put it? The only repentance that counts in Don Horbin's life is Monday repentance. It's it's what I do with Sunday truth. So this is a passage about what happens after the preaching. What happens after the devotions? What happens after the Bible study? What happens? Those still quiet moments when you go through the day and you know right back here, right in the back of your cranium, you get that impression from the Holy Spirit. You know, Don, you really ought to. And whatever it is, the next step I take is a repentant one, hopefully. You're 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 right. I never Oh man, I never saw that. But I see it now, okay? Metanoia. What you do after you perceive with the mind. Oh, oh, I see it now. And And it isn't just a matter of by luck hoping you do it. There's there's a repentant heart that says, I don't know how I missed it, but Lord, I want to follow you. It's ongoing repentance that keeps the transformation of my life by the word and spirit of God. It's repentance that keeps The transformation of my life by the word and the spirit of God. A a current thing rather than just a past thing. This is how my life is pruned. This is how my life, Jesus talked about that in John 15. Repentance is involved in that. So Luke in our text, he shows us very clearly the kind of changes that repentant people make. What does Monday repentance look like? And specifically next week, we'll look at four specific changes that repentance brings. I will never forget, I'll never forget, I was at a a pastor's conference in in a large church in Van Nuys, California and there were probably fifteen hundred pastors in the room, and in a little q and a thing someone someone stood, went to a microphone, and addressed the pastor, and said, "You know I really admire your walk with Jesus, your writings, the songs you write. It just seems you have such a close walk with the lord what what's the secret to What is the secret to your spiritual life And you could tell the pastor. He, he was just embarrassed by the question and he almost didn't want to answer it. And he started going in a different direction. Then he said, you know, you know wait a minute, wait a minute. He said, there might be one thing that's the key to everything in my life spiritually. And he wasn't saying in a bragging way, just humbly. He said, "I I think, I think I repent more than a lot of people. And I never forgot that probably 25 years ago I never forgot that sense. Here's here's a, a person that that by every measurement walking in the spirit, successful ministry, close to the Lord. What's the secret, you know? I think I repent more than most people. And I kind of made a mental note. I want to be that kind of person. It's what you do after you perceive what the Holy Spirit is speaking into your heart. Next Sunday night, the specific changes that repentant people make. Let's pray, church. We don't have to live with ourselves very long to recognize how, how stubborn our hearts can be after years of walking with Jesus. Uh, we're, we're tender to our own rights. We rationalize almost everything we do We can be so unyielded. And all of those things, all of those things are just signs. They're signs of unrepentance. And so start with this message tonight. And as we move through this series, we want to be people who just repent more and more. As we hear what your Holy Spirit is saying to our hearts. Bless your word to our hearts. Bless our church. You know where we are at. Guide and direct our steps. Keep us just in the, in the palm of your hand with hearts that are sensitive to your voice. In Jesus' name I pray and I thank you. Amen. God bless the church. Love one another into our prayer time.